Hi, this is Stephen Cherry for Radio Spectrum. The Literary Digest, a now-defunct magazine, was founded in 1890. It offered, despite what you'd expect from its name, condensed versions of news analysis and opinion pieces. By the mid-1920s, it had over a million subscribers. Some measure of its fame and popularity stemmed from accurately predicting every presidential election from 1916 to 1932, based on polls it conducted of its ever-growing readership. Then came 1936. The Digest predicted that Kansas Governor Alf Landon would win in a landslide over the incumbent Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Landon, in fact, captured only 38% of the vote. Roosevelt won 46 of the U.S.'s 48 states, the biggest landslide in presidential history. The magazine never recovered from its gaffe and folded two years later. The Chicago Tribune did recover from its 1948 gaffe, one of the most famous newspaper headlines of all time, Dewey Defeats Truman, a headline that, by the way, was corrected in the second edition that election night to read, Democrats make sweep of state offices, and by the final edition, early Dewey lead narrow Douglas, Stevenson win, referring to candidates that year for senator and governor. The senator, Paul Douglas, by the way, was no relation to an earlier senator from Illinois a century ago, Stephen Douglas. The Literary Digest's error was due famously to the way it conducted its polls. Its readership, even though a million strong, was woefully unrepresentative of the nation's voters as a whole. The Tribune's gaffe was due in part to a printer's strike that forced the paper to settle on a first edition banner headline hours earlier than it otherwise would have, but it made the guess with great confidence in part because of the unanimous consensus of the polling that year that had Dewey ahead despite his running one of the most lackluster, risk-averse campaigns of all time. Polls have been making mistakes ever since, and it's always, fundamentally, the same mistake. They're based on representative samples of the electorate that aren't sufficiently representative. After the election of 2016, in which the polling was not only wrong but itself might have inspired decisions that affected the outcome, where the Clinton campaign shepherded its resources, whether James Comey would hold a press conference, pollsters looked inward, reweighted various variables, assured us that the errors of 2016 had been identified and addressed, and then proceeded to systematically mispredict the 2020 presidential election, much as they had four years earlier. After a century of often wrong results, it would be reasonable to conclude that polling is just too difficult for humans to get right. But what about software? Amazon, Netflix, and Google do a remarkable job of predicting consumer sentiment, preferences, and behavior. Could artificial intelligence predict voter sentiment, preferences, and behavior? Well, it's not as if they haven't tried, and results in 2020 were mixed. One system predicted Biden's lead in the popular vote to be large, but his electoral college margin small. Not quite the actual outcome. Another system was even further from the mark, giving Biden wins in Florida, Texas, and Ohio, adding up to a wildly off-base electoral margin. One system, though, did remarkably well. As a headline in Fortune magazine put it the morning of Election Day, The polls are wrong. The U.S. presidential race is a near-dead heat. 
this AI sentiment analysis tool says. The AI company Fortune Magazine referred to is called Expert AI, and its chief technology officer, Marco Verone, is my guest today. Marco, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Marco, AI-based speech recognition has been pretty good for 20 years. AI has been getting better and better at fraud detection for 25 years. AI beat the reigning chess champion back in 1997. Why has it taken so long to apply AI to polling, which is, after all, well, even in 2017, polling was a $20.1 billion industry, which is about $20 billion more than chess? Well, there are two reasons for this. Uh, the first one that uh, if you wanted to apply artificial intelligence to this kind of problem, you need to have the capability of understanding language in a pretty specific, deep and nuanced way. And it is something that, frankly, for many, many years was very difficult and required a lot of investment and a lot of work in trying to go deeper than the traditional shallow understanding of text. So this was one element. The second element that, uh, as you have seen in this particular case, uh, polls on average are working still pretty well, but there are particular events and particular situations where uh, there is a clear gap between what has been predicted and the final result. And uh, there is the tendency to say, okay, on average, the results are not so bad, so don't change too much because uh, we can make it uh, with the good results without big changes that are always requiring investment, modification, and a complex process. So I would say that is a combination of uh, the technology that needed to become better and better in understanding the capability of uh, really extracting uh, insights and the small nuances from any kind of communication, and the fact that for other type of polls, the current situation is not so bad. The, the fact that now there is a growing amount of information that you can easily analyze because it is everywhere in every social network, in every communication, in every blogs and comments made it a bit easier and say, okay, now we have a better technology. Uh, even in specific situation, we can have access to a huge amount of data. So let's try it. And this is what we did, and I believe this will become a major trend in the future. Every AI system needs data. Expert AI uses social posts. Uh, how does it work? Well, the social posts are, the I would say, the most valuable kind of content that you can analyze in a situation like this. Because uh, on one side, it is a type of content that we know. When I say we know, it means that we have used this type of content for many other projects. It is normally the kind of content that we analyze for our traditional customers looking for reaction comments and opinion about products, services, and particular events. Social content is easy to get up to a point with the recent scandals. It's becoming a bit more difficult to have access to a huge amount of social data in the past was a, a bit simpler. And also it is something where you can find really every kind of person, every kind of expression and every kind of discussion. So it's easier to analyze this content, to extract a big amount of insights, a big amount of information and trying to tune, uh, to create a reasonably solid models that can be tested 
in a sort of a real time. There is a continuous stream of social content. There are in, in a, an infinite number of topics that are discussed. So you have the opportunity to have something that is plenty, that is cheap, that has a big magnitude in expression and where you can really tune your models and tune your algorithms in a much faster and more cost-effective way than with the other type of content. So that sort of thing requires something to count as a ground truth. What is, what is your ground truth here? <laughs> very, very, very good point, a very good question. The key point is that from the start, uh, we have decided to invest a lot of money and a lot of efforts in creating a, a sort of a representation of knowledge that we have stored in a big uh, knowledge graph uh, that has been crafted manually initially. So we created this knowledge representation that is a sort of representation of the word knowledge in a reduced form and the language and the way that you express this knowledge. And we created this solid foundation manually. So we have been able to build on a very solid and very structured foundation. On top of this foundation, it was possible, as I mentioned, to add the new knowledge working, uh, analyzing a big amount of data. Social data is an example, but there are many other types of data that we use to enrich our knowledge. And so we are not influenced, like many other approaches, from bias that you can uh, take from extracting knowledge only from data. So it's a sort of a two-tier system where we have this solid ground truth foundation is the knowledge and information that uh, expert uh, linguists and the people that have uh, a huge understanding of things has created. And on top of that, we can add all the information that we can extract more or less automatically from the different type of data. We believe that this was a huge investment that we did during the years, but is paying big dividends and also giving us the possibility of understanding uh, uh, the, the, the language and the communication at the deeper level uh, than uh, with other approaches. And are you using only data from Twitter or from other social media as well? No, no. We try to use as much social media as possible. The limitation sometimes is that with Twitter is much easier and faster to have access to a bigger amount of information. For other social uh, sources, sometimes it's not that easy uh, because you can have issues in accessing the content or you have a very limited uh, number of information that you can download that is expensive or some sources you cannot really crawl them automatically so twitter becomes his first choice for the reason that is easier to get a big volume and if you are ready to pay you can have access to the full twitter firewalls the universe of people who post on social networks would seem to be skewed in any number of ways. Some people post more than the average. Some people don't post much at all. People uh, are sometimes more extreme in their views. H how do you go from social media sentiment to voter sentiment? H how do you avoid the literary digest problem? Probably the most relevant element is our huge experience. Somehow we, we have started to analyze a big amount of uh, data, textual data, uh, many, many years ago, and we were forced to really find a way of managing and balancing and avoiding this, this kind of uh, noise uh, or duplicated information uh, or extra spurious information can really impact on the capability of our uh, uh, solution 
to extract really real insights. So I think that experience, a lot of experience in doing this for many, many years uh, is uh, the, the second uh, secret uh, element of our recipe in being able to do this kind of analysis. And I would add that also you, you should consider that if you do it several times, we started to do analyze political content, things linked to political elections a few years ago. So we also had this generic experience and a specific experience in finding how to tune the different parameters, how to set the different algorithms to try to minimize this kind of uh, noisy elements, you can't remove them completely. It is impossible. But for example, when we analyze the, the social content for the Brexit referendum in UK, and we were able to guess uh, uh, one of the few able to do this, the, the, the real result of it, uh, we learned a lot of lessons and we were able to improve our capability. Clearly, this means that there is not a, a formula that is good for every kind of analysis. It's sort of a commonplace that people express more extreme views on the internet than they do in face-to-face -face encounters. The results from 2016 and 2020 and, and the Brexit result as well suggest that the opposite may be the case. People's voting reflects truly held extreme views, while the polling reflects a sort of face-to-face -face facade. Yes, I must admit that we had a small advantage in this compared with many other companies and probably many other players that tried to guess the result of this election or the Brexit. Being based as our technology headquarters here in Italy, we saw this kind of situation happening much sooner than we have seen happening in other countries. So in Italy, we had even many years ago uh, the strange situation where people, uh, when they were polled uh, for with an interview, were saying, oh, no, I think that it is too extreme. I will never vote for this. I will vote for this other candidate or this other party. But at the end, when the, the election were over, you saw that, oh, this is not uh, what uh, really happened in the secret of the vote. So I would say that this is a small secret, a small advantage that uh, we, we have against many other people that try to guess these results, uh, creating this kind of technology and implementation in Italy where this uh, somehow split uh, or exaggerated uh, uh, positioning inside the votes for the election was happening before than we have seen. Now it's very common. It's happening not only in the U.S., but also in other uh, countries uh, uh, it was happening before, so we have been able to understand it sooner and try to adjust and balance our parameters accordingly. Oh, that's so interesting. People have, of course, compared uh, the Trump administration to the Berlusconi administration, but I, I didn't realize that the comparison went back all the way to their uh, initial candidacies. So in effect, the shy voter theory, especially the shy Trump voter theory, is basically correct, and people express themselves more authentically online. Correct. This is what we've seen again and again, and it's something that I believe is not only happening in the political environment, but here it's somehow stronger than in other places. As I told you, we are applying our artificial intelligence solution in many different fields, uh, analyzing the, the feedback from customers of telco company, 
uh, banks, insurance companies. And you see that when you look at, for example, the content of the mails or the, or let me say, official communication that are exchanged between the customer and the company, everything is a bit uh, somehow smoother, more neutral. Uh, the tone is under control. And then uh, when you see the, the same kind of uh, problem that is discussed on, in a social content, everything is stronger. People are really trying to give a much stronger opinion, say, no, don't never buy this kind of service, or I had big problems with this company. And so, again, this is something that we have seen also in other spaces. In the political situation, I believe it is even stronger because you are really not buying something like when you are interacting with a, with a company, but you're trying to give your small contribution to the future of your country or your state or your local government. So probably there are even stronger sentiment and feelings for people. And in the social uh, uh, situation, they are really free because uh, you're not really identified normally you can be recognized, but in many cases, you are not uh, linked to the specific person doing that. So I believe that it is the strongest uh, place where there is this, uh, okay, I really wanted to say what I think. Uh, and uh, this is the only place where I will uh, tell this because uh, the risk of having a, a sort of a, a negative uh, result is smaller. Yeah, so so not to belabor the point, but it does seem important. It's commonly thought that the internet goads people into holding more extreme positions than they really do, but the reality is that it instead frees them to express themselves more honestly. A, a 2015 article in Nature argued that public opinion has become more extreme over time, uh, and then the article looks at some of the possible causes. I'm wondering if you have seen that in your work, and is it possible that standard polling techniques simply have not caught up with that? Yes, I think that uh, we can confirm we have seen uh, this kind of change. We are, we are applying our uh, AI solution uh, to social content from a, a good number of years. I would say not exactly from the start because you need to have a sort of a minimum amount of data, but uh, it's been a, a big number of years. And I can confirm uh, yes, it's something that we have seen uh, that it is uh, happening. Uh, I don't know exactly if it is uh, also something that is linked to the fact that uh, people that are more vocal uh, on uh, social content uh, are also part of the, the new generation, people that are younger, that have uh, uh, been able to use this kind of uh, channels of communication natively, okay, more or less from the start. I think that there are different elements on this, but for sure, I can confirm this. Uh, and in different countries, we have seen... Uh, uh, some uh, uh, significant uh, variation. Uh, for example, you should expect that here in Italy, uh, it's super strong because Italian people, for example, are considered uh, uh, very, uh, they, they don't uh, fear to express their opinion. But I would say that in US and also in UK, we are seeing uh, even stronger, okay? So it's happening in all the countries where we are operating and there are some countries where it's even stronger than, uh, than another one. You will not be surprised that, for example, when you analyze the, the, the content in Germany, social content, everything is somehow more under control, exactly as you expect. So sometimes there are surprises and other situations that are things that are more or less as you expect. 
I mentioned earlier Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Are there similarities between uh, what you're doing here and what recommendation engines do? Uh, there are elements in common and there are significant differences. Uh, the elements in common that they are uh, also uh, using uh, the capability that they have uh, in uh, analyzing the textual content to extract elements for the recommendation, but uh, they are also using a lot of other uh, information. For us, uh, when you analyze something, more or less the only information that we can uh, get access to is really the tweets, uh, the posts, the articles, uh, and other similar things. But for Amazon, they have access, or for Netflix, to a, a lot of other information. So on Amazon, you have the clicks, you have the history of the customer, you have the, the, the different path that has been following in uh, navigating the site, they have historical information, so they have a much richer set of data, and the textual part is only somehow a complement of it. So there are elements in common and differences, and the other difference is that all these companies have a very shallow capability of understanding what is really written in a comment, in a post, in a tweet, they tend to work more or less of a keyword level, okay, this is a negative keyword, this is a positive keyword. With our AI intelligence, we can go deeper than that. So we can get the emotion, uh, the feeling, we can disambiguate much better small differences in the expression of the person because we can go to a deeper level of understanding. Uh, it is not like a person, okay? A person is still better in understanding all the nuances, but it's something that can add uh, more value and allows us uh, to compensate uh, up to a point uh, to the fact that we don't have access to this huge set of other uh, data that these big companies easily have because they track and they log everything. Uh, I'm not sure humans always do better. You know, one of my complaints about uh, the movie rating site Rotten Tomatoes is they take reviews by film reviewers and assess whether the review was a generally positive or generally negative uh, review. It's 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 incredibly simplistic, and yet, in my opinion, they often get it wrong. I'd love to see a, a sentiment analysis software attack the movie rating problem. Speaking of which, polling is a, a more of a way to show off your company's capabilities, yes? Uh, your main business involves applications in industries like insurance and banking and publishing. Correct, absolutely. We decided and we do it uh, from time to time, as I said, uh, to apply our technology and our solutions to this specific problem, not because we wanted to become a competitor of the companies doing uh, these polls, but because we think it is a very good way to show the capability and the power of our technology and our solution applied to a problem that is easily understood by everybody. Normally, uh, what we do is to apply this kind of uh, approach, uh, for example, in analyzing the customer interaction between the customers and our clients, uh, or analyzing big amount of uh, social content to identify trends, patterns, emerging elements that can be emerging technologies or emerging challenges. Part of our customers are also in the intelligence space, so public police forces, national security intelligence agencies, and they use our AI platform to try to recognize possible threats to help investigators 
and analysts to find the information that they want to find in a much faster and more structured way. Finally, I would say that our historical market is in publishing. Uh, Publishers always uh, are searching for a way to enriching the content that they publish with additional metadata so that the people reading and uh, navigating inside the knowledge can really slice and dice the information across many dimensions or can then focus on a specific topic, a specific place, or specific type of event. Uh, Returning to polling, uh, the Pew Research Center is just one of many polling organizations that looked inward after 2020, and as far as I can tell, concluded that it uh, needed to do still better sampling and weighting of voters. Uh, In other words, they just need to do a better job of what they had been doing. Do you think they can ever succeed at that, or are they just on a failed path and they really need to start doing something more like what you're doing? I think that they are on a failed path and they they need to really merge the two approaches. I believe that for the future, they really need to keep the good part of what they did for many, many years because there is still a lot of value in that, but they are obliged to add this additional dimension because only working together with these two approaches you can really find something that can give a good result and uh, I would say good prediction in the majority of the situation, even in these extremes, events that are becoming more and more common. Uh, and this is sort of a part of how the world is changing. So we think that they needed to look at the, the kind of artificial technology, artificial intelligence technologies that uh, us and other companies are uh, making available because you, you cannot continue. It is not a problem of tuning the existing formula. Uh, they, they should not uh, discard it. It would be an, a big mistake. Uh, but for sure, in my opinion, they need to, to blend the two things and spend the time to balance this combined model. Because again, if you just uh, merge the two approaches without spending time on balancing, uh, uh, the result would be even worse than the, what they have now. Well, Marco, I think there's a very natural human need to predict the future, to help us plan accordingly, and a, and a very natural cultural need to understand where our fellow citizens stand and feel and think about the important issues that face us. Polling tries to meet those needs, and if it's been on the wrong path these many years, I hope there's a right path, and hopefully you're pointing the way to it. Thanks for your work and for joining us today. Thank to you. It was a pleasure. We've been speaking with Marco Verone, CTO of Expert.ai, about polling, prediction, social media, and natural language processing. Radio Spectrum is brought to you by IEEE Spectrum, the member magazine of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, a professional organization dedicated to advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. This interview was recorded November 24th, 2020. Our theme music is by Chad Crouch. You can subscribe to Radio Spectrum on the Spectrum website, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we welcome your feedback on the web or in social media. For Radio Spectrum, I'm Stephen Sherry. Mm-hmm.